You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. We're going to bring to you a new lecture series, completely brand new, for 2021. This is going to be 1 Timothy. We're going to go through the entire letter of 1 Timothy, looking at Paul's pastoral letter, handing on the apostolic teaching to the successors of the apostles in this preaching office. So that in particular, what we will see is this understanding rightfully of what an evangelical bishop looks like, what an evangelical bishop preaches and teaches, doctrine, doctrine in accordance with the word of the apostles. Usually in our society, in our culture here in American Christianity, we have this idea that doctrine divides. And we want to be very clear here. Doctrine does not divide. It is false doctrine that divides. False doctrine rips asunder what God has brought together in the unity of the confession of faith in the apostolic historic Christian faith. True doctrine unites so that we can confess together with one voice saying, this is what we teach, confess, and believe. Now, precisely, this is the whole point of Paul's letter to Timothy, saying that Timothy, as a bishop, as an overseer in this preaching office, is to oversee the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel, the good news, the forgiveness of sins won by Christ and then delivered in the preaching of the gospel spoken by the man in the preaching office, delivered in the visible gospel with water and baptism, and of course in bread and wine, that is, the body and blood of Jesus in the sacrament of the altar. This gospel being given to the people, where God's word is heard, and of course where God's written scriptures are read. Now, Paul is going to contrast this evangelical bishop with a teacher of the law. And we'll see this immediately in chapter 1, where the teacher of the law is one who wants to teach the law in the way that the Pharisees did. Now, what I mean by that is teaching the law without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, and therefore without knowledge. So we will see in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, Paul addressing those who want to be teachers of the law. Now in chapter 1, we have this understanding kind of thematically of the whole preaching of the gospel in that very short phrase that Paul uses saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what it means to proclaim Christ, that he is Savior. He is the one in that office in which he alone can save us from our sins. In fact, that's what the name Jesus means. 
He's given that name at his birth in the incarnation. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he's given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He alone is Savior. The message of the gospel is good news because he comes to us, humanity. Humanity that has inherited sin from Adam and Eve. Humanity that by nature are sinners in need of a Savior. Now, this is the role of the evangelical preacher, the evangelical bishop. That is an overseer of this proclamation of this message. Now, again, this is going to be contrasted with those who want to be teachers of the law. Then instead of seeing sinners in need of a Savior, the teachers of the law see sinners in need of a, oh, I don't know, maybe a 10-step program to become a better you to be more successful, or maybe to teach you the way that you should walk so that you would become righteous in God's sight. So Paul will address these so-called teachers of the law in this first chapter. Now, when we look at the first chapter in particular, what we want to see is that three times this word charge is used. Now, what I mean by charge is an authoritative directive. Now, first, we'll see this in a verbal action, that this is the reason why Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, in order to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, again, here's where we have the emphasis of teaching, the emphasis of doctrine. A different doctrine divides. Now, again, I know that it's kind of common in American cultural Christianity to have this animosity toward doctrine. But remember, what Paul teaches us is that a different doctrine divides. So that as an evangelical bishop, as a man who's been placed into this preaching office as a successor to the apostles, he is to teach the apostolic doctrine. In fact, Paul will talk about this doctrine as a sound doctrine in this first chapter. So that as a sound doctrine, what we mean by that is that it's a, it brings health. It brings health to the heart. It brings health to the conscience. It brings health to the faith of the individual. That's the kind of doctrine, the apostolic doctrine, that is going to bring a healthy, spiritually healthy individual. It is the role of Timothy, an evangelical bishop, to proclaim this same doctrine as Paul. But there are going to be those who are tempted to teach a different doctrine. And those are the ones who are going to divide the church. These are the ones who bring schism within the church. And in particular, Paul is going to identify them as those who are desiring to be teachers of the law. So the first time we see this charge is in a verbal action that Timothy is to charge certain people not to teach any different doctrine. Now, the second time that this word charge comes up in this first chapter is in the form of a noun. That Paul says very clearly to Timothy, the aim of our charge 
is love. Now, when Paul says our charge, he's talking about being an apostle, being in this entire ministerium of the apostolic message and preaching. So with the other apostles, with those who have been placed into this preaching office, and that would include even Timothy, our charge. And so after Paul says our charge, the aim of our charge, that is, is love. He then ends this whole chapter by saying, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. So three times we have this understanding of a charge, an authoritative directive, one that comes from God, one that comes from the apostolic doctrine, the apostolic teaching. Now, of course, this is in contrast to those who do not want to be evangelical bishops or preachers. They don't want to proclaim the gospel. They want to be teachers of the law. So Paul is going to warn Timothy. He's going to remind Timothy that this is why Timothy was left in Ephesus. Now, we know that Ephesus has had all kinds of trouble. I mean, we look at the scripture and we see that you have an entire epistle written to the baptized in Ephesus because of issues that were happening there, questions that were being brought up. You have this understanding of the book of Acts where Paul will gather these elders, these teachers, these men in this preaching office, and he's going to encourage them to continue to faithfully stand firm in this apostolic teaching. And then he warns them there's going to be wolves amongst them who will rise up. These wolves, of course, will be those who desire to be teachers of the law in the way of the Pharisee. And in fact, even in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, we have this understanding that there's a letter written to the angel. That is the messenger, the pastor, the one who's preaching this message there in Ephesus. So there were a lot of things that were happening in Ephesus. But in particular, Paul's going to address those who want to be teachers of the law, who are teaching a different doctrine. So as teachers of the law, they are those who do not have understanding. They are teaching a law that is contrary to sound doctrine. So instead of promoting a, a healthy heart or, or a, a healthy conscience or a healthy faith, they are promoting spiritual sickness. Now, it might seem like they're trying to do the right thing by teaching the law, right? But Paul makes it clear that they're teaching it without understanding. They just continue to babble on. They give empty words. They give these meaningless dissertations that does not promote this goal of love. We'll talk more about that as we go. But understand right here very clearly that what's happening is they are teachers of the law without knowledge, without Jesus who justifies, or without the Holy Spirit who regenerates. Now let's go ahead and look at this epistle starting right away at verse 1. So we're going to go through the whole chapter 1 verse by verse. And we'll pause and we'll make comment. Now, we're going to use the English Standard Version, the ESV, but we'll make some comments about the nuances in translation, uh, ways in which we can better understand what is being given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
Now let's go ahead and begin. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. And we want to pause right there and we want to look at this, this beginning statement that Paul himself is going to clearly begin by stating that he is an apostle. To be an apostle is to be a sent one. He has been sent by Jesus. Now, of course, he was not one of the original 12 apostles that were sent out by Jesus after the resurrection. However, Paul did see the resurrected living Lord. And Jesus himself directly sent Paul out as an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul in particular has this directive to go to the Gentiles and to bring the gospel, the good news of salvation found in Jesus, that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Whereas the other 12 apostles were sent to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, so Paul begins by noting this, that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then he says it's by the command of God, our Savior. Now, usually when we use the term Savior, the title Savior, we're talking about saving us from sin. Jesus is the one who saves us from sin. Remember, we started off by saying the whole message is kind of truncated into this very concise statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So usually, typically, we use this title, Savior, for Jesus. But here, Paul is going to, in particular, use this title for the first person of the Holy Trinity. That would be the person of the Father. So that God, our Savior. So he's talking about the Father here. The person of the Father is also called Savior. The Son is Savior and the Holy Spirit is Savior. So that all three persons of the divine blessed Trinity share this title. For God the Father sends forth his Son to save the world. So therefore he is Savior. The Son uniquely is the one who took upon flesh and blood in order to suffer and to die to save us from our sins. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives to us faith in Jesus, and thus he saves us from our own sins by converting our heart. But here Paul wants to use this title for the Father. By the command of God, our Savior, and and Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, in this life, we have hope, but not in this life. So our hope is not in this life, and that's all that we have. Our hope is in the life to come. So let us say, in living through this time period of this life, this temporary time, we have a hope in the life to come. But that hope is not in what we have done. It's not in our person or our, our, our works or what we can claim to be or to do. But instead, this hope that we have is in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. 
It is Jesus who gives us this hope in the life to come, in the resurrection of the body. So we don't wait and anticipate things to get better in this life as our hope is somewhere here in a temporary uh, time period, but rather ultimately our hope we wait for the manifestation of what we already have as heirs of the kingdom, as adopted sons of God by grace, that we would rule with Jesus eternally as kings of the kingdom, as heirs to the throne with Jesus. Jesus being our elder brother, Jesus being the only begotten Son of the Father, and then all believers being adopted sons of the Father, so that we can call God our Father together in unison of voice with Jesus. It is Jesus who gives to us this hope, so therefore, in fact, he is our hope. We place our hope in him. Now, Paul starts off by giving this kind of this description of, of his office, proclaiming very clearly that this is the authority that he has. It's not his own personal opinion. It's not from the imagination of his heart. It is by the command of God, specifically our Savior, talking about salvation from sins, and specifically talking about the one who is our hope. Whereas the Father saves us by sending the Son, Christ Jesus is our hope, the Son who has overcome death and the grave, giving us hope in the life to come. Now, Paul then addresses Timothy. To Timothy, my child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, again, notice the, the parallelism here that you have the person of the Father from God the Father, just like we saw previously, by command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus our hope previously, and then now to Timothy says, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, typically, this is the way that Paul will make a distinction in the persons of the Trinity, the plurality of persons, the distinction between the Father and the Son. So that typically the Father is referred to as God, so God the Father, and then typically the Son is referred to as Christ, Jesus, and Lord. Christ, because of course, according to the human nature, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. He is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. The name Jesus of course, that name given to him at his birth, that he is the one who's going to save us from our sins. So both Christ being anointed according to the human nature, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, showing forth the incarnation. This is distinct from God the Father. The Father did not become man. Only the Son did. But yet at the same time, Paul wants to emphasize that he is our Lord, that he is true God, that he is Yahweh of the Old Testament. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords. The Father is Yahweh, the Son is Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh, yet there are not three Yahwehs. And so the emphasis here is on the uniqueness, 
distinction of the Son, Christ, Jesus, incarnate, yet at the same time, truly divine. He is our Lord. Now, Paul also opens with this greeting of grace, mercy, and peace. Now, typically, when Paul will open up with a greeting in his letter, he will say something to the effect of grace and peace from God, our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, or something to that effect. So that what Paul is doing is he's tying together grace and peace that comes from both the Father and the Son. And so grace, we want to understand grace uh, correctly as favor. That it is a free gift from God. God's favor upon us. So you start off by saying grace, God's favor. It's not something that we've won. It's not something that we've done. We have favor with God for the sake of Jesus. And then at the same time, not only do we have favor with God, we also have peace with God, which means that we have peace in the conscience. God and sinner have been reconciled in Christ. In the incarnation, once again, divinity and humanity have been joined together in this union, the personal union of the two natures. So that in Jesus, we see this reconciliation made manifest, that he is the one mediator between God and man. And therefore, this peace that we now have with God for the sake of the person and work of Jesus gives to us peace in our conscience. Now, the conscience is going to be important here in chapter 1. Now, we know Paul talks about this elsewhere, like, for instance, in Romans chapter 5, where he says, being justified by faith. So, therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. So when we have peace, this is peace in the conscience, because now we've been reconciled. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So being justified by faith, we have been declared righteous. We have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. And so therefore, we stand before God the Father accessing him through the Son as mediator and in the Holy Spirit who is giving to us this faith in which we can stand firm, being confident. Remember, Jesus is our advocate with the Father and the Holy Spirit is another advocate. He advocates for us in our own conscience. He is the comforter. He's giving to us this assurance that for the sake of Jesus, we can now stand before the Father because we have a mediator. So here we have the importance of the person and work of the Son, who's the one mediator, and the importance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit who converts the heart and continues to strengthen faith and continues to bestow upon us a comforted conscience. So the conscience is going to be very important, and we'll come back to that later on in this epistle. But now notice that what is unique in this opening in 1 Timothy is Paul will say grace, mercy, and peace. So that Paul is tying together the grace, the favor with God for the sake of Jesus, 
peace with God for the sake of Jesus, both being reconciled and peace in the conscience, with the mercy. That is the forgiveness of sins, all for the sake of Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. Again, remember, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So look at this greeting as one that is going to articulate how grace and peace are tied together with mercy. Now, this is going to be contrasted with those who want to be teachers of the law. Now, as teachers of the law, they're going to confuse the conscience and they're going to take the heart and and they're going to make the heart unhealthy. They're going to take the faith of those that have been entrusted to their care, and they're going to sow seeds of doubt. They're going to give to them a weakened faith. And how are they going to do this? Well, they're going to use the law unlawfully. They're going to use the law to try to persuade somebody who's been justified by faith that the law is the method by which an individual becomes righteous before God. It is going to be the method in which you make God merciful. So instead of counting on his mercy for the forgiveness of sins, these teachers of the law are going to use the law in an unlawful way and try to promote a new method to make God merciful. Likewise, what they're going to do is they're going to use the law for compulsion and coercion, trying to emphasize the threats of the law, trying to make the people outside externally good with good works that are seen, instead of realizing that the law exposes the depravity of the heart internally. Again, remember that the will of God is not merely an outward show of actions. It is a change of the heart, and that can only be done with the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, renewal, sanctification, that's not from the law. Righteousness is from Jesus, not from the law. We'll talk more about that. And so when these who these individuals who want to be teachers of the law without understanding, without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit, well, then they're going to end up using the law to accuse and to condemn. They want to put people under judgment with the law because they're going to teach you that you are never good enough. So they want to accuse you. They want to condemn you. They want to play the role of Satan, Satan which in the Hebrew means accuser. And it's for this very reason why, at the end of chapter 1, Paul will hand them over to Satan, Satan, the accuser, to accuse them. If they want to accuse you with the law, well, they can have the accuser themselves. Let's go back to the text and pick up at verse 3. So Paul tells Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith." 
And we want to look at this and pull this apart here. This is our first charge in a verbal action, that Timothy is to charge certain peoples not to teach any different doctrine. In particular, men in this teaching office, this preaching office, who are supposed to be pastors proclaiming Jesus, but instead they want to be teachers of the law. And so Paul gives these examples. They do such things as they devote themselves to myths. They devote themselves to endless genealogies. And so this idea of endless, the idea of empty things, of myths, the things that are not about Jesus, not about the gospel, not about the forgiveness of sins, these types of things promote mere speculations. They don't promote faith in Jesus. And so Paul says the stewardship, they're not promoting the stewardship from God, or better translated as the ordering of God, or the right ordering of God, that is by faith. And notice this order of salvation is that faith comes through hearing the preaching of Jesus, hearing this apostolic doctrine. A different doctrine will not suffice. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.